At that very time, there were some present who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. Jesus asked them, Do you think that because these Galileans suffered in this way, they were worse sinners than all other Galileans? No, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will all perish. Or what about those 18 who were killed when the Tower of Siloam fell on them? Do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others living in Jerusalem? No, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will all perish. And he told them this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard. And he came looking for fruit on it and found none. So he said to the gardener, See here, for three years I've come looking for fruit on this fig tree and still I find none. Cut it down. Why should it be wasting the soil? The gardener replied, Sir, let it alone for one more year until I dig around it and put manure on it. If it bears fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. For the word of God in scripture, for the word of God among us, for the word of God within us. Here's the standard interpretation of this and texts like it. Unless you stop doing bad things and start coming to church regularly, terrible things are going to happen to you. Do you ever hear that when you were a kid? I did. You must have gone to different churches than me. You know, I wasn't said as baldly as that, but I got the message. That was what it was about. That was what life was about. Follow the straight and narrow or you're in trouble. And it's based on two relatively unexamined assumptions. One is that those who suffer deserve it. And that was an ironclad certainty of the ancient Middle East and the near Middle East, was the idea that whatever happened to you is what was supposed to happen to you because of the way you lived. So the rich were rich because they were good. And the poor were poor because they were bad. People who got sick deserved to be sick because they'd done something wrong. And you can read this all the way through the scriptures, this assumption. This is the way things are. Sometimes it's attributed to God. God did the bad thing to you, but you deserved it. But either way, it's your fault. Because everything happens for a reason. God does whatever God does, because that's the way things are supposed to be. And everything has a reason to it. You even hear that today. You even hear some people say when a tragic things happen to someone, well, some good will come out of it because it's for the purpose of good coming out of it somewhere. You might not understand it right now, but it will come out of it. It seems bad now, but it will appear to be a good thing later. Or, well, you know, that's what happens, but it's, 
it doesn't it doesn't really look like it's a, like it seems to look it's about something else is happening and well we just have to god knows what god is doing and 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 it just sort of peters out doesn't it because it ends up being about god doing something terrible to people for reasons which we don't understand so how are we to deal with the fact that terrible things happen because people do terrible things which is the uh, the story uh, which which is not attested in anywhere in the ancient world but uh, of Pilate killing some Galileans and mixing their blood with their sacrifice at the temple but he did other horrible things similar to that so it's not without outside of the bounds of possibility that he might have done such a thing terrible things are done to people we've already still got the shooting in the New Zealand Christchurch mosques in our minds. But terrible things just happen in the world, the cyclone in Southeast Africa, where we've countless numbers of people killed, possibly the largest weather event of its kind in the Southern Hemisphere ever. And why did that happen? Is God in charge of those two things? And could have stopped the mosque killing but didn't? Could have changed the weather but didn't? What, this is what Jesus actually says. First of all, he says no. So the view of the world that everything happens for a reason and what you've got is what you deserve, he challenges that with one word and he says no. But then he says, unless you repent. Now, what we've been given as the word, the, the, the word repent means is some kind of feeling sorry about a list of bad things that you've done and promising never to do them again. Which is probably not a bad thing to do, but it just actually has nothing to do with what the word means or what it meant when Jesus was talking about it. To repent simply means to change your mind, to rethink your position on something, to reimagine your understanding of the world. So unless you rethink your way of looking at the world, and I think Jesus is specifically talking to this idea that everything happens for a reason. Unless you're willing to rethink that, you will perish. Now there's lots of words that the, the Greek, which is the language that this text is written in originally, could use if it means die. So if Jesus wanted to say, without any doubt at all, if, this, if you don't repent, you will die, it, there were other words that he used. But this word, we tend to translate as perish because... To perish means to uh, sort of uh, to rot or disintegrate or to fall apart or to no longer be what you were. So it could mean die, but it could mean something more subtle like that. So what does Jesus mean? Well, he's not saying if you don't repent, if you don't change your way of thinking about the world, you will die. Oh, well, that's not news. Yeah, do it anyway. So he couldn't be saying that because what's the point? We're, all the people that this is about are all dead. A hundred years' time, we'll all be dead. Um, that's just... So it's not news. So he, it's, not, he's probably not saying that. And he, do you think he might be saying, well, if you don't repent, exactly the same thing that happened to them will happen to you, i.e. a tower will fall on you or Pilate will kill you? No, of course not. It's, first of all, Jesus is not clairvoyant. He's, he can't see what will happen to each person is a human being like you and I. 
So what is Jesus saying? Well, if we take the word perish away from death and move it towards this idea of rotting and no longer being what it was, the first, word, the first thing I think about when something's perished is this, right, as rubber. If you've ever had a rubber hose on your car perish, it's no longer of any use. It no longer does the one thing it's supposed to do, which is to be strong and flexible. Once it's perished, you can't fix it. I don't know about you, but the number of times I've been stuck when I was a kid with an old car and a perished radiator hose, trying to fix it with whatever I had handy, it doesn't work. You just hope you're going to sort of limp to the next garage and then buy a new one and to discover that they're really expensive and they don't have them in stock anyway and no one's had one for your version of this car for 10 years and, you know, and so it goes on. But when, when rubber is perished, it's beyond being able to be useful. And it's a really strong sense, I reckon, of the word for, for us. There's a sense where you could be so rigid in your way of seeing the world, this is the way the world is, that you sort of ossify or you get perish. You, you get too hard to be flexible and to be usable. And we've all seen people, we've all known people who seem to us to be hard. They've built a shell around themselves in order to avoid being damaged, which kind of makes sense. If you have a lot of damage, you might want to build a shell around yourself. But in order to do so, you have to be rigid. You have to know how the world works. You have to know what people are like. All politicians are untrustworthy. All men, all women, all children, all those people over there, all those people in the camps on Nauru and Manus, all, when, that's what you have to do in order to be, to be able to maintain that shell. You have to be certain about things. Well, maybe Jesus is challenging all of that. Because unless you challenge it, as Jesus is doing here, you live in this universe only of cause and effect. And what should be soft and malleable and open to the world becomes like this piece of rubber. Hard, cracked. And it can't be what it's supposed to be. And that's why I think this strange passage is just before the strange story of the of the fig tree and why it's linked together by the people who write the lectionary every year. Because the tree experiences a moment of grace. The tree is not being what it could be. It's not being what it should be. It's not somehow its true nature, which is to be a fig tree producing figs, has been trapped, boxed in, ossified, controlled. And it's not blossoming. So it gets another opportunity to experience its life as it should do. It gets another opportunity to become who it always is, but has been trapped. Unless you repent, Jesus says, unless you change the way you think, unless you open yourself up to a different kind of way of seeing the world, not one of cause and effect, not one of everyone deserves what they get, not one of everyone's boxed into where they belong, but one of grace, of welcome, of invitation, 
of the joy of being alive. Some mornings when I get here, I don't really want to be here. Some mornings this is just a job for me. And I have to think about why I'm here. Because I could just go through the motions. Lord knows there are whole days when I just go through the motions. And so sometimes when I'm sitting here before the service begins, I'm purposefully, deliberately reminding myself of where I am in the world and who I am. And I have to do that because it somehow easily just dissipates. I don't know why. I know all this stuff. I've been reading these books, this Bible. I've been preaching this stuff for years. And yet it can disappear in a nanosecond. And I can sit there wondering what the point of my life is, what I'm doing here, who all you people are, and why you're here, and why you're bothering me when I could be home reading the newspaper with my feet up. Hey, you know, what, what, how does that happen? It just disappears. And so I have to deliberately sometimes, not, not every day, some days it comes, rushes on me like a moment of joy when I remember what, it, what a glorious thing it is to be alive. I got a photo overnight of my, one of my grandchildren. Uh, in the, they, they were in the march um, to protest uh, Brexit. And my granddaughter, who's watching now is nearly two years, holding up a little sign. And it was, it was just, it just filled me with joy when I woke up this morning. But of course, an hour later, I'd forgotten it. So I have to sometimes deliberately remind myself. So I sit here sometimes reminding myself who I am. I am an alive human being, gifted with life, not of my own doing, not something I've worked up, but something that just appeared to me. It was a miracle. Now, I know how I got born. I've read the books. I know what happens. But it's still an incredible miracle. I still just turned up out of nowhere, alive. And I got loved and cared for, enough to stay alive. And here I am in this moment, right in the middle of God's good earth, alive in it. And if I remind myself of that, it's one of the reasons why I think, think, think it's important to do what we do every Sunday. Because I could barely get through a few days. I certainly can't get through more than a week without being reminded of that. It's the great joy of it. And I think that's what Jesus is saying is, yes, I know terrible things happened. I know that Pilate killed all those Galileans. And look, I can tell you something else. That Out of nowhere, a tower fell on people. Who knew that was going to happen? Out of nowhere, a cyclone hits East Africa. Who knew? I know those things happen. And yet, in the midst of that, there is great gift and joy and sometimes terror and despair. And that's life. But there is this gift all the time. It's the great grace of knowing that we might not be in control of it, but we are loved. And as the poem ends from Thomas Smith, and sometimes you sense how faithfully your life is delivered, even though you can't read the address.